How are you out there this morning? Good. Amen. Get your Bibles out. Proverbs chapter 6. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 6 as we're studying through Proverbs 6. We're on verse 12 uh, from last week. I'm going to recap there. Talking about the wicked man. The the scripture gives us a character sketch of the wicked man and uh, his attributes so that he can be identified and so that these characteristics can be avoided. But uh, I'm going to read verses 12 through 15 of Proverbs 6 in just a moment. We thank God for the word this morning. Father, we thank you for the word of God, Father, that from cover to cover you reveal Jesus Christ to us. We thank you for the Proverbs, these uh, these tidbits of wisdom that you give us so powerfully, Lord, to impact us. Father, we pray by the Holy Spirit this morning that the wisdom that and the treasures you've tucked in your word for those who seek you beyond the, the superficial, Lord, that you would allow them to explode in our hearts and our souls this morning. Father, that each of us would take away a deposit from you, Lord God, and that these principles would be driven deep in the good soil of our hearts that they would produce fruit in us. We ask this in Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Proverbs chapter 6, starting in verse 12, a character sketch of the wicked man. A worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth. He winks with his eyes. He shuffles his feet. He points with his fingers. Perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. Therefore, his calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly, he he shall be broken without remedy. So last time together, we looked at verse 12, and we saw this verse showing that, you know, the output of the wicked person is a perverse mouth. And that was one thing to note, but we also noted that God calls the wicked person worthless, And I had recommended in that sermon that none of us ever call a person worthless. Amen. So actually, some people came to me after service and said, Pastor, I need to get that out of my vocabulary, you know, because we're surrounded by people that don't do what they're supposed to do, that don't, you know, carry their weight. And it's easy to look at a person and make a judgment like that. But the thing is, only God is able to make a judgment like that. And he says the wicked person is worthless. Why? Not because they're not created in his image, not because he doesn't love them, not because Jesus can't save them, but because the wicked person chooses to rebel against God and act like the devil instead of acting the way God created them to be in his image. Amen. We were created for holiness to live righteously, amen, to be sons and daughters of God. We were created to look like Jesus. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, that he conforms us to the image of Christ. When a person chooses to lie, kill, and steal, they identify not with their creator, our Father in heaven, but they identify with the devil. And God says that's a worthless way to live. You and I should not walk like the wicked. Now, unfortunately, there's wickedness all around us. There's evil in the world, and and there's even wickedness in the church. And so we look at a subject like this, and we we listen to the principles, and we, we say, where the shoe fits, wear it. So we noted that it said in verse 12, a worthless person, a wicked man, walks 
with a perverse mouth. Now, we said that our walk is our spiritual motion. It's how we think, act, feel, and live. And because we as Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit, we should be sensitive to perverse things. Look what it says. A wicked man, it, it, what? he walks with a perverse mouth. We've all known people who the output of their mouth is constantly negativity and gossip and slander and criticism and negativity and foul language. If you've ever been around a person who's just foul with their language, you know they use four-letter words like punctuation. I mean, it's just, they can't, it doesn't even matter who they're in front of. They could be dressed up in a suit in a church, and all of a sudden they're, they're, I mean, I've had people in the foyer talking to me, dropping the F-bomb like it was, you know, not church. You say, what did you do, Pastor? Hit him with holy water? No. We give grace, amen, but... You know, it denotes what's going on in a person when the output of their mouth is so negative. And so because we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we should be sensitive to perversity to, and we should stand against falsehoods. We've got to speak truth to our generation. We've got to speak the truth in love to our generation. Amen. We shouldn't just hear lies about God, about the church, about the Bible, about Jesus and just go, oh, well, that's your opinion. No, we have to have a voice in the public square. Uh, we should also learn to spot half-truths. There are a lot of things that people say that are mostly true, but a little lie is mixed in. And so you and I need to speak against the half-truths about, you know, spirituality, about salvation. Well, good people and all dogs go to heaven. No, only those that are born again and have submitted themselves to Jesus Christ and accepted what he did on the cross as payment for their sins go. Not good people, not nice people. Oh, amen. This is just a recap. Buckle up. We should also learn to spot crooked things, amen. There are a lot of crooked things out there. We as a church need discernment. We need to speak truth uh, in the darkness and bring people into the light. Now, the scripture continues here with verse 13 as the description of the wicked man fleshes itself out. It says, he winks with his eyes, he shuffles his feet, he points with his fingers. Let's unpack verse 13. There's a lot of motion going on there. It says he winks. How many people know winkers? Know any winkers? People just will say something. They're like, you know, or someone else is talking and they catch your eye and they're like. Usually when someone's winking, I'm like, I, I, can hardly, I can't think of a time where this is not true. But usually when they're winking, it's mischievous. And what the scripture is trying to say here is that this, this person who's wicked is winking. Why? Because he's trying to stir up mischief in a nonverbal way. He won't just come out and say it. won't just come out and say what he's thinking, but wants to catch somebody's eye or wants to say something a little, a half-truth or, or something that's a little off-color and just give you a wink. So be careful about winkers. If you are a winker, we can de-wink you today. If you like to stir up trouble and mischief, well, that's got to change, amen, because it's not a sign of a righteous person. Now, look, at it continues here. We get winking, but listen to this. He shuffles his feet. What's that? You ever see someone who's just kind of lollygagging around? They're just kind of loitering, kicking up dust. You ever, you know, if you live in the city, people hanging out on the corners, Hanging out on the porch, just eyeballing everybody, wanting to stir up a little trouble, 
just carousing, loitering. What are they doing there? You know, they're just shuffling their feet. They got no place to go, nothing to do. Some of you look convicted. (laughs) And what are they doing? They're looking for trouble. They're, they're loitering. They're, they're kind of just, you know, waiting around to see who shows up and what, what's going to happen and what's going to touch off and how they can stir it up. And so the person who shuffles their feet, they're loitering. They're carousing. They're looking for trouble. They're looking for an opportunity to stir something up. And then it says they point with their fingers. They're, again, a nonverbal. They're just kind of like, you know, this. You know, my, my sons and I will, will gang up on Kim because it takes three of us to stand up against her. And, you know, one will get behind and point at her, and the other one's going like this. And she's like, what's going on here? And we're just like, you know, we're, we're just trying to survive in the Leonardi house. But you know that person who's always pointing, who's always, you know, making gestures. Some of them I'm not going to make in church. But you know what I'm talking about. Just And what are they doing? These little nonverbals that they're trying to, you know, they're trying to stir something up. They're trying to say something without actually saying it. And it's all about mischief and carousing and stirring up trouble and stirring the pot and, and directing others' attention to folly. Would you look at that? Oh, look at this. So here the scripture is painting a little picture for us. Now I want you to notice something about all three of these behaviors that were described. They're all subtle and they're all secretive. And, And this is showing what? That the wicked man uses all the tools available to him, listen, to to make trouble, but to conceal it from the eyes of those who would call him out on his bad behavior. The reason he's winking, the reason he's doing things behind, but the reason he's carousing, the reason he's pointing is because he doesn't come right out and say what's in his heart because he knows that good people would call him out on his bad behavior, so he does it secretively. And that's what, you know, that's what the text is trying to get us to understand here. The wicked man conceals what he's doing because he doesn't want to be called out on his bad behavior. So we learn that the wicked person is categorically sneaky. Come on, you know some sneaky people. Oh, they're always talking about somebody. When you're there, when you're not there, they're talking about you. They're sneaky. They're slippery. You can never pin them down. You can never expose them. The fact that they're wicked and sneaky and slippery, you know, it it actually reveals another mark of their bad character. The person who winks and shuffles their feet and points with their fingers, who does things behind the scenes. He wants to look good in the eyes of men, but he doesn't actually want to do good in the sight of God. That's a mark of the wicked. And we've all known people like that. They want to look good in public. They want to paint the facade and they want to, oh, you know, and, and, you know, we see people in leadership and politics and all. They always do this. They paint this picture of how wonderful they are. Just family men and children and photo op and kiss the baby. And meanwhile, they're lying, cheating, stealing, committing adultery, taking bribes. Hello, come on. Can I just tell the truth in church? Now, I'm not naming any names. I'm just talking about characteristics and nature here. But the wicked person wants to look good in the eyes of men, but doesn't want to be good in the sight of God. And and you know what? It's more important for us to do the right things when nobody's looking, to have integrity, to be pleasing to God, to confess our inner struggles and our secret sins to the Lord, and not to care about what people think about us, not to care about a photo op or a public image or if we're going to save face, but to just be right in the eyes of God. 
That's the way the righteous person behaves. But the wicked man, no, he wants to point and stir up trouble and, and, and cause strife. And, and he doesn't want anyone to call him out on it. He wants to look good but not be good. Now, verse 14 is a loaded verse. Uh, I could spend so much time here, but for time's sake, we're going we're gonna to move through it. Verse 14 says, perversity is in his heart, and he devises evil continually. He sows discord. Let's take a look at that this morning. We talked about perversity last week in verse 12. Why? Because it says, the worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth. So we saw perversity expressed in what comes out of a person's mouth. But here in verse 14, it gives us a little bit of insight. Now, remember, we said that that word perversity in the Hebrew is ikashuth, and it means false, distorted, and crooked. So what comes out of a wicked person's mouth is false, distorted, and crooked. Now, verse 14 tells us the reservoir of that perversity is actually the heart. Look what it says. Perversity is in his heart. Before those crooked, false, twisted things came out of a person's mouth, they were conceived in the heart. The heart is the reservoir. It's the fuel tank for the mouth. And so here this verse is showing us that, you know, ikashuth, false, distorted, crooked, well, that comes from the heart. And the heart is the reservoir. So when we have uh, problems with what's coming out of our mouth, we don't need to change our speech. We need to get our heart cleaned up. Amen. You know, people say, oh, they say something just totally inappropriate. Oh, how did that slip out? Well, it was in your heart. Amen. It didn't just, you know, fall out of the atmosphere and by osmosis went through your skull and into your mouth. No, it came from the reservoir. And so all of us, you know, have to look at our hearts. You know, when our hearts are messed up in the natural, we go to the appropriate doctor. Amen. If you have trouble with your heart, you don't go to the vet and say, hey, can you, you don't go to your mechanic and go, you know, can you clean the grease off your hands and maybe just give, hello? You say, oh, Pastor, I don't have good health insurance, so we start with the vet. No, you go to a heart doctor, a heart surgeon, amen? You don't let anybody mess with your heart unless they're absolutely qualified. Now, I want to tell you something. In the spiritual realm, God is absolutely qualified to deal with the heart, And he is a heart surgeon, amen? So when our hearts are messed up and they get messed up all the time, we need to bring our hearts to the Lord. We need to bring our hearts to Jesus. Now, let's just be honest. Our hearts get messed up all the time. You know, I've been in ministry, it's going on 30 years full time. I've seen a lot of things. I've seen a lot of people come and go. I've seen a lot of leaders rise and fall. And and you know what? I've seen people who started off with right hearts end up with really messed up hearts. I've seen people who were pure and innocent end up immoral. I've seen people who were soft and gentle end up bitter and angry. The heart can get messed up. Even in the most well-meaning, well-intentioned people, you know, through, through circumstances, through life, through bad decisions, through things that are beyond our control, our hearts can get messed up, and we need God to fix our hearts. Perversity is in the heart of the wicked man, but for the righteous, when our hearts get messed up, we need to bring our hearts to God. Now listen to me, church. The truth is, God can absolutely handle our messed up heart. Let me, let me try that on this side here. 
this section, God can absolutely handle our messed up hearts. Amen. There's some saved people over there. And the thing is, when our hearts get messed up, it's embarrassing. And when we're embarrassed, what do we do? We hide. And the most foolish thing we could do when our heart's messed up, and we know when it is, we don't have patience anymore. We're angry all the time. We just say things that we would have never said. We don't have patience for people. We don't love the, the body anymore. You remember when you both first got saved? Oh, the church is so great. I love everybody. Pastor Rick, look, I love. <laughs> Ten years later. When is this over? How long does this take? And I can sing that song again. I know this. Just, just life. Come on. And our hearts need to be, you know, they need to be dealt with. We, we, need, we need the doctor to take a look. So we get embarrassed and we want to cover it up and we instinctively try to hide from God. And that's what Adam and Eve did. They sinned and they hid from God and then they tried to cover themselves up. Remember that, you know, they made some, they knit some leaves together and made, you know. And God came into the garden and said, yoo-hoo, where you guys at? Hiding. So when our hearts get messed up, we instinctively want to hide. That, that's our human nature. But the truth is God can handle our messed up, broken, uh, twisted hearts if we'll bring our hearts to him and admit that we're messed up and ask him to transform us. He'll pour out his amazing grace on us and refresh our hearts, restore our hearts, give us a brand new heart. But we've got to bring it to him. You know, if you have something wrong with your heart in the natural, the heart doctor doesn't just call you up out of the blue and say, hey, you need to make an appointment. You got to make an appointment. You got to go and you got to bring it to him. It's the same with God. So let's stop hiding. Let's stop running. Let's run to God and allow him to clean our hearts. You know, King David absolutely understood God's ability to redeem a messed up, broken heart. In Psalm 51.10, he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You say, well, oh, that's nice, but what's the big deal? The big deal was that David had just committed adultery with Bathsheba. He had just killed Uriah, her husband. He committed, you know, murder, and he committed adultery, and now his heart is all broken and messed up, and judgment is looming over him, and the prophet is prophesying against him, and he comes to God, and he says, God... It wasn't my fault. God, it was that woman bathing on the roof. He said, no, God created me a clean heart. You see, David with his messed up, broken heart didn't hide from God. He ran into the presence of God, and God forgave him and restored him and walked him through the judgment. And on the other side of David's broken, messed up heart, God was able to say, he's a man after my own heart. God can handle our broken, messed up hearts, but we can't hide from him. We've got to run to him. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Listen to David's heart here. He doesn't say, God, don't embarrass me in front of the people. Don't let my secret out. He doesn't say, God, don't don't take the kingdom from me. Don't take the throne from me. No, he didn't care about any of those things. He said, what? Don't take the Holy Spirit from me. Don't take your presence from me. David valued the right things even with his messed up, broken heart. He didn't say, oh, don't embarrass me. I don't want anybody to know. No, he says, no, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Oh, restore unto me the joy of my... See, David, he, he, he knew the right things, the important things, and he focused on them, but he let all the other nonsense fade away. I want you to see how God was able to call this man who had done some incredibly dark things a man after his own heart. That's a miracle. But it takes us bringing our heart to the Lord. We can learn a lot from David, even in his failure. He he reveled on what was important, and he didn't allow his pride to get in the way. Humility will take us a long way in the sight of God. So if your heart's messed up and broken today, bring it to the Lord. He can do heart surgery on you and create a new heart. Amen. Verse 14 continues, and it says here, perversity in his heart. He devises evil continually and sows discord. So devising evil, uh, and the King James says mischief. So I want you to think of evil, uh, mischief, devising. We're going to take a look at that, and he does it continually. So what does it mean to devise evil? Uh, The word devise means to plan by careful thought. So when the scripture says he devises evil, he plans by careful thought evil and mischief continually. Does that give you a good picture of the wicked? Now we're gonna give we're gonna get some real world examples here so we understand how this plays out. But that word devise is powerful to plan by careful thought. We need to take a look at that. There are people who plan by careful thought wicked things. And I'm not just talking about history. I'm not just talking about in the Bible. I'm talking about in the earth today all around us. There are people who, listen, invest their time, their assets, their energy, and their creative abilities into carefully planning evil things. You say, Pastor, what in the world are you talking about? Well, there are drug cartels right now planning and plotting how to get drugs, smuggle drugs, get them into the country, cut them with fentanyl, make a massive profit, kill, steal, and destroy uh, for, for, the, for money, anyone in their way. And they'll use their time, their energy, their assets, and their creativity to do the job. Do you know there are tunnels, multi-million dollar tunnels dug under the, the border, you know, uh, into our country, and this judge was bribed, and this official was bribed, and they use these underground tunnels. It costs all this time and money and, and creativity to create, to get their product in the country. There was careful planning. There was devising. You say, what's that all about? That's about devising evil. There are people who smuggle others into the country. There's a sex trade that's going on where they snatch young children and put them into the sex trade and they use them for prostitution. Come on, wake up, America. Wake up, church. What's going on across our border? Do you think it's an accident that that certain people want to keep it open? They're getting paid to keep it open. It's wickedness. It's evil. 
oh, no, you're just, you're not humane. You want to split up families. You want to do this. All the rhetoric that fools ignorant people into allowing people to abuse their power. And you know what? There's people dying every day, and it's a stench in the nostrils of God. It's a stench in the nostrils of God. That we would say, oh, well, just keep it open. You know, it's humane. It, just this week, I think it was like 40 or 50 people were packed into a, a, a tractor-trailer ba- boxcar with no, all these poor Mexican people just want a better life. And instead of having an orderly border, they pack them there and they die in 140-degree heat. That's wicked. And there's people plotting and planning and using their assets to effectuate all this. Organized crime syndicates. There's terrorists. There's nations that are carefully crafting and devising plans to to perpetuate evil. Right now, you know, whether you know it or not, there's been meetings going on among Middle Eastern nations. They're meeting and they're devising plans right now today to destroy and attack Israel, the apple of God's eye. They're coordinating their wealth their military capabilities, drones, rockets, paramilitary assets, all of that being coordinated, what? For the express purpose of eliminating the Jewish state. That is evil. To want to destroy God's chosen people. are, Are you guys alive out there? Sometimes I think the church could care less about what's going on. Oh, don't tell me about this. It's going to keep me up at night. Well, there, there's wickedness in the world. And we've got millions and millions of people in this country who want to pretend it's not so. But the church needs to not be ignorant of the devil's devices. There are people plotting all kinds of things. Right now, because of the overturning of Roe versus Wade, there have been uh, clinics and places that help women right now, blown up, firebombed. There, our, our own care net here you know, ha- has to have guards 24 hours to watch what's going on. Why? Because people are angry and, they're, and they're, they want to destroy you know, churches and, and, and all of these places. That's evil. Devising, plotting, planning, using your assets, using your time and your energy and your wealth and your creativity to effectuate things that are wicked and destructive. This verse lets us know that the wicked are not just devising evil sporadically. The verse says they're doing it continually. You look at this. He devises evil. Now we understand the expression of that. We understand that it's it's plotting and planning, but they do it continually. Now, apparently, the wicked are busy little beavers. You know, church people were as active as those who are, you know, out in the earth trying to tear things down. If the church was as aggressive bringing the gospel and the love of Jesus to the world, we have revival in this nation already. Now, look what it says here, that what? They devise evil continually. They're busy. They're driven. They have one-track minds. They want to accomplish their desires and their plans. I think of the the nations that want to destroy Israel. They are relentless. And the news media doesn't report on it, but there's killings and attacks and rockets shot into Israel every day. Now, what's this all about? Why are the wicked so persistent? It's because of what drives them. You see, their motivation is not merely human effort or ideology or the energy of man. The source of what's driving the wicked is demonic. 
Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The reason the wicked are relentless is because they're driven by the darkness. And it's not just human energy, and it's not just human motivation. You know, if it was those things, it would just burn out. It would just fizzle out. But it's not. So understand, if the church is going to resist the wicked and the plans of the wicked in the earth, it's not going to be in our own strength. It has to be in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not by power. It's not by might. But it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And the way we're going to defeat the darkness is with the love of God. Amen? And so the church needs to be the church. And the church needs to bring the gospel and the light into the darkness Because I want to tell you something, the wicked are busy and they don't sleep and they don't quit and they're unrelenting. And if we think they're just going to get bored one day and leave us alone and the devil's going to get bored one day and let us advance the gospel, we are seriously, uh, we're not going to happen. So we got to get the Holy Ghost, amen, in our churches, in our pastors, in our pulpits. And we've got to unify the body of Christ so that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the standard, the, God raises up a standard against them. And that standard is the people of God and the body of Christ. So the verse continues here. He devises evil. He does it continually. And then it says here in verse 13, he sows discord. Now, there's a, there's a lot going on in that one little statement there. He sows discord. Please be aware that the wicked man is always trying to plant something in the hearts of those foolish enough to entertain him. It says what? He sows. What does that mean? He's trying to plant something. If you entertain a wicked person and you listen to them and you open yourself up to them, they're going to want to put something in your heart. Why? Because they sow things. They're planting a seed. And and I want you to understand that, that the text is very clear about the wicked person trying to sow something. So I want to tell you, be very selective about who you let speak into your life. Be very guarded about who you let inflame your passions. You know, the wicked person wants to inflame your passions over something that's not important to the kingdom of God but wants to get you all lathered up and riled up about stuff. Be very cautious about who you let counsel you. The wicked love to draw people to themselves and counsel them. They love to plant seeds in others and sow seeds in them. They weren't ordained. They weren't set apart by the pastor. They weren't recognized by leadership, but they want to have coffee with you and counsel you. Be very careful about who you let speak into your life. Oh, well, they go to the same church. Listen, if leadership hasn't touched them, if they're not, you know, part of the, you never know what they're going to try and plant in you. I've been around a long time. I've done this almost 30 years. I've seen every kind of spirit try to attack the body of Christ. Religious spirits, demonic spirits, Jezebel spirits, spirits of witchcraft, and they always do the same thing. They draw people away to themselves, and they try and counsel them. Be very careful. The wicked love to sow seeds in others. Be very careful about who you let arouse your indignation. You know, people can stir you up about things. 
things that are not important to the kingdom of God. And before you know it, you're all angry. You're lathered up. That's not just. That's not right. And the next thing you know, you're in a group. You're on a board. You're holding a sign. (laughs) What are you doing there? Was that God's idea? I'm preaching, man. Be very careful about these things. The wicked love to sow seeds. Now, the text is absolutely clear about what the wicked man's favorite seed is to sow. You know, my wife is from a farming community. My father-in-law is a farmer in Saskatchewan. If you don't know where that is, it's up above Montana. It's where Bigfoot lives. If you go there, you will see acres and acres and acres of wheat. There are more cows in most towns than there are people. And listen to me, every farmer has his favorite thing to plant. Some do corn, some do beans, some do wheat. But, you know, farmers have a favorite seed to plant, a crop that they understand, that they tend well, that produces and yields well for them. And I want you to know that the wicked man has a favorite seed to sow too. The Bible's very clear. It's not corn or beans or wheat. The seed he loves to sow is discord. It says it right here in the text. He sows discord. And the Hebrew word for discord means contentious quarrel or strife. Have you ever noticed people that wherever they go, they start fights? They love to stir the pot. You know, and watch them. They're slippery. They'll stir the pot. They'll lather people up. They'll get them angry. They'll start a fight, and they'll just fade off into the back. Come on, I'm, I'm showing you the traits of the wicked here. Learn to spot them. Eh? The wicked loves to do this, to sow discord in families. You know, there, there was everything. There was peace in the family, but one person goes to the other and turns one against another, and the next thing you know, it, the family's divided. The marriage was healthy, and it was moving in the right direction, but somebody wicked goes in there and sows discord. You shouldn't have to put up with that. You shouldn't have to listen to that. You shouldn't put up with her. You can do better. You can get a younger model. And they lie, and they sow discord, and they destroy marriages. And you see people in the office. They, they turn people one against another, and they, 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 they attack leadership, and they do it in the church, and it's discord. And, and, and God hates it. We're going to talk about seven things that God hates in this chapter, and we're going to see God hates these things when people bring division and discord, but it's what the wicked man loves to sow. Now, what a great vehicle technology has afforded those who are driven to sow discord. You got 24-hour news, you got radio, podcasts, social media platforms that people could post all day long, all kinds of garbage, all kinds of junk, and they could put it out there. And what do they do? They stir stuff up. And some of us Christians get suckered into fighting with them, and we get drawn into these situations. Don't look holy on me now. I've followed some of the threads. I see your names. And look, sometimes you got to stand your ground if you could do it in love, but most of the time it's a waste of time. And we get suckered into this stuff. Man, I was having a good day, and then three idiots had to go say that. And now I'm in, man. I'm in. I'm in the mud with the pigs, and I'm dirty. (laughs) I get it. I get it. I get it. But the wicked use all of these things to stir up trouble and to sow seeds of discord and to bring division. And boy, has the enemy done a good job of bringing division. Not division between the church and the world. The church is not supposed to be in bed with the world. 
we're not supposed to have unity with the world. We're supposed to have unity in the body of Christ. Amen? I'm not willing to compromise my convictions, to compromise the word of God, to condone things that God's word condemns so I can make other people happy. Well, we're not going to like you if you don't do that. Well, that's fine with me. I don't need you to like me. If God's for me, who can be against me? If God's pleased with me, then I can sleep good at night. But I won't compromise the word of God so that I can make you happy and that I can condone wickedness. Because listen, I got to stand before God someday and you got to stand before God someday. And I don't want anybody's blood on my hands because I didn't have the guts to tell them the truth in love. So the wicked sow seeds of discord, and we don't want to get sucked into the fight, but we want to be those who love and speak truth in love. Now, verse 15 brings this whole situation about showing the characteristics of the wicked to a really abrupt conclusion. And it says this in verse 15, Therefore, his calamity, talking about the wicked man, shall come suddenly. Say suddenly. Suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. So the wicked are at some point going to face the judgment of God. Now, let's be honest right now. I know I've looked around, and I'm sure you've looked around and seen the lies and the cheating and the stealing and the deceit and the treachery and the treason. Come on, I wish somebody wake up. And, I, and seen all this stuff and get disgusted with it to the point where you're like, God, when are you going to intervene in this mess? Because you won't let us get in there, and you've restrained the church, and you, and you said not yet, but, but God, when are you going to do something? I don't know about you, but it'll wear the righteous out. When the wicked rule, the righteous groan. Uh, you know, and we look at what's going on and we're just saying, God, when are you going to stop the madness? And God's word tells us when and how. He's going to do it suddenly. And when he does it, it'll be final. And it'll be, you can't reverse it. It's without remedy. It's a done deal. You say, well, why does God take so long? Because God's not willing that any should perish. Listen to me. He's waiting for the wicked to be exposed so that people will repent. Well, God, hurry up and bring judgment. Well, aren't we thankful that he waited for us? Because I don't know about you, but I wasn't born saved. It took me until my teenage years, and I'm thankful that God waited for me. So the righteous need to have patience while God sorts out these messes. But listen, there will come a time when God brings judgment. And when he does, it's a fearful thing. In fact, Proverbs 29.1 reaffirms the text that we're looking here at verse 15 of chapter 6. Proverbs 29.1 says, Whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will be destroyed suddenly without remedy. Listen to that. That's sobering. Many rebukes. What does that mean? That means that you had a chance, and the Holy Spirit tugged on your heart, and the Lord said, quit doing that, and, and, they, and they were drawn, and, 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 and Jesus says, come to me, and the person says, no, and, and, the, and, and the Lord says, stop with that sin. It's killing you, and the person says, no, and, and time and time again, after rebuke, after check, after tug, and suddenly, God has had enough. It's a fearful thing for sinners to fall into the hands of an angry God. It's a fearful thing, amen, 
when we have a world that is so stiff-necked and so hard-hearted and they want to judge God and, and judge God's people and judge God's word and refuse grace. The bottom line is this. Judgment is coming to the wicked from the hand of God. It is coming. You say, when is it coming? In God's perfect timing. God will judge, and when he does, it will strike like lightning, and it will be absolutely final. Mm. Look what it says. His calamity will come suddenly, and he will be broken without remedy. Because of all the times and the chances and the second chances and the third chances that people get, that we get, when judgment comes, it's not going to be God's fault. It's going to be our fault. It's not, no one's going to be able to say, God, you never gave me a chance. God, it's not right that, you know, God gives everyone chance after chance, after opportunity after opportunity. In America, where there's a church on every corner, where the gospel is preached on radio and TV and cable 24 hours a day, where you can buy a Bible in any store and open it up and seek God for yourself. No one is going to have an excuse. Verse 13, 49 through 50, paints a vivid picture of the final end of the wicked here. And it's a sobering one. And I want you to hear it today. And then I want it, I want it to motivate us to be evangelists, to reach out to those who are stuck in the dark and throw a lifeline to them. And that lifeline is the, the love of Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Matthew 13, 49 says this, So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. I don't know about you, but I don't want anyone to wind up in that place. Hell was not designed for people. Hell was constructed by God for the angels that rebelled against him to be a holding place for them for eternity. But man chose sin and chose to align himself with the wickedness of the fallen, and all of a sudden, man wound up in hell where God never intended him to be. God doesn't send anyone to hell. Our rejection of his grace sends us there. There will be nobody in hell that can say, it's not just that I'm here. For eternity, they'll know they rejected their only hope, Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I want to be one who brings the hope and the love of Jesus to a hurting world that brings the gospel to people in such a way that they have an opportunity to receive Christ. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, I thank you for Proverbs 6 and the power of this study and the, sober, the sobering effect it has on the body of Christ. Father, I pray for those within the sound of my voice who will hear this message now or on a later date, that the conviction of the Holy Spirit would be there and it would bring those in dark places out into the light, that they would discover the love of Jesus and be translated uh, from the darkness into the light, Lord God. Father, make us evangelists, Lord, people who bring the gospel, people who bring it to our families. Father, for every person that is on our hearts at night, for our co-workers and our neighbors and our family members and our friends from school and, 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 and wherever, Lord God, that we see people that they need you so desperately, God, put words in our mouth and give us opportunities to bring the good news to a hurting world. We ask this in Jesus' name.
Now, if you're here this morning with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, and you've never had an opportunity to invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you would be saved. The Bible says if we confess Jesus before men, he'll confess us before his Father that's in heaven. So it's not about being a good person. It's not about doing good works. It's not about cleaning ourselves up so we can be acceptable to God. It's about admitting we're sinners, repenting of sin, and accepting the Savior. Only one person ever came to die for our sins. Only one person ever died on the cross and rose again on the third day. And his name is Jesus. And he offers the gift, the free gift of eternal life to whosoever will call on his name. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to be good enough for it. All we have to do is receive him into our lives by a decision of our will and by an act of repentance, and he will change us, fill us with the Holy Spirit, give us the power to live a different life, settle our eternity, and call us one of his very own children. If you want that today, I want to give you this opportunity to raise your hand and say, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Is there anyone here who wants to do that this morning? Anyone want a clean slate and a fresh start and a new beginning? God bless you. God bless you with your hand up. Usher is going to put something in your hand. Anyone else this morning? This is the most important part of our service. Let's pray a prayer together. Say, Lord Jesus, I recognize you're the Savior. I know you died for my sins. So I confess my sins, and I accept you as my Savior and as my Lord. Fill me with the Holy Spirit and give me the power to live a different life. From this moment forward, I belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Welcome to the family of God this morning. Welcome to the family of God. The Bible says when we repent, the angels in heaven rejoice. Right now, they are partying in heaven. So let's give God a hand clap of praise one more time. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah.